Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface. We're going to talk about everything from life to love and pretty much everything in between. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have some fun too, because Lord knows I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, welcome. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. And if you're an old friend, welcome back. And would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be so grateful. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, go on and slide into my DMs on Instagram. I love hearing from you. It's at The Refined Woman. Now let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to The Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and thank you for joining me for another episode of my podcast. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time. I am grateful for your energy. I'm grateful for you listening to my voice and your headphones and your car, wherever you are. Thank you. And I talk about this a lot and I probably sound like a broken record, but I'm going to ask and invite you into this once more. So the podcast is one of the things in my life that I feel most called to. And in that, it's also a labor of love. It's expensive. It ain't cheap running a podcast, y'all. And so I set up an account with Patreon, which is an online software that allows people who love podcasts to support them financially. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. That's like less than a cup of coffee these days. So if you love this podcast, if it has been a blessing to you, I would love to invite you to join our Patreon community. You can go to patreon.com slash the refined collective to join or learn more information about it. And also if you have enjoyed this podcast, will you go ahead and leave a rating and review on on iTunes for us. It helps us with our rankings and getting our message out there to more and more people. All right, that's all I got. We're going to get into today's episode right now. And before we get started, I just want to give a trigger warning and a kid warning. This episode is called Another One Bites the Dust, Sex Scandals in the Evangelical Church. And I'm going to be talking about some hard topics. I'm going to be sharing some vulnerable stories. And so I just want you to know beforehand in case that might feel triggering to you. And also, if there are little ears listening, if you're in the car with your kiddos, I'm I'm not saying that this conversation isn't a conversation that needs to be heard by children, but you may want to listen to it first. One thing that I want to acknowledge before we really dive deep into this conversation is the humanity of people. We're all human. We all make mistakes. And sometimes the stakes for our failures are higher than others because of leadership positions or because of the role that we're in or not in. Um, And I think especially the moral failures of pastors, church leaders feel particularly painful because of all the people in their wake. So I just want to acknowledge the humanity of people. We're all human. All right, 
That being said, let's go ahead and dive into this episode. All right, so the reason why I'm doing this episode is because I feel as though we need to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I've never been the type of person that has been able to ignore when something's going on. So I've I've say I've said this on this podcast very many times that I feel like I came out of the womb ruffling feathers and part of what I mean by that is ever since I was a little girl, I if something is going on if there's some injustice, if there is conflict, I can't ignore it. I can't, I am not the type of person that can brush things under the rug. I have tried to do it before, and literally it feels like my insides are going to burst out of me. So I... I have just been that person in in, a, in most for most of my life and I think I judged myself for it at times because ruffling the feathers or talking about hard things it can feel uncomfortable it causes myself us you me we to deal with hard things when it would just be easier to talk about the weather or for instance when it would be easy on this podcast just to continue with the that's what he said series and share with you an interview from a guy telling you whether or not guys and girls can be friends. It's not that I don't think that stuff is valuable or important information, but I do feel as though the last week with the election and now with recent sex scandals coming out from a huge pastor in New York City, I just want to (laughs) pause and acknowledge that and talk with you about that, process it with you and hold space for you if you feel hurt by this, if you'll feel confused by this. I know I sure do. And really in all of it, I'm just I'm just committed to being honest with you. I'm committed to having hard conversations. I'm committed towards moving to the thing that is uncomfortable because I think really when we get down to it, honesty is what we all long for. Now, I can't promise you that I'm going to say everything right. I probably will say it wrong. I can tend to be a professional backpedaler. I'll share something and realize, oh, it came across bad or judgmental. So I may backpedal. I may be misunderstood. You may disagree with what I'm about to say. And that's okay. I have space for that. What I really hope is that regardless if you agree or disagree with me, that this gets you talking, processing, thinking critically, asking hard questions. So that's 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 where we're at today. That's what we're doing. That's where we're going is I'm going to address head on what has unfolded here in the last week in Christian evangelical culture. So here's what's going on if you do not know what's going on. Evangelical Christian and church leaders are being exposed at a rapid rate for their moral failures. Now, moral failures is a very, it can feel like a very elusive term. Typically, when you're seeing that, it's referring to some sort of sexual scandal, So this year alone, the ones that I know of, I'm sure there are more, but recently the president of Liberty University, Jerry Falwell Jr., was exposed for infidelity in his own marriage and 
Then Pastor John Gray was recently exposed for being unfaithful to his wife. We have Christian comedian John Christ in the last year who had his sex addiction exposed and went off the radar for seven, eight months and then kind of came back and did his redemption tour and everything's quote unquote fine. And then just last week, as if the election wasn't enough for us all to walk through and go through. I mean, I don't know about you, but my productivity rate last week was <laughs> shot. I was supposed to be working on my book edits that are actually due today. I actually should be right doing my book edits, but instead I'm recording this podcast episode because it feels very important. But everything that was going on culturally with politics, with the election felt, I think, heavy, whatever side you were on. There is just a lot of emotion. And then let's throw into that another sex scandal from a highly revered and well-known pastor. So last week, Hillsong, New York City pastor, my former pastor of three plus years in New York, Carl Lentz, was fired for leadership issues, breaches of trust, and moral failures. That's the terminology that Brian and Bobby Houston, founders of Hillsong Church Australia, used in their public letter, letting their congregants, letting the world know that Carl was let go. He was fired last week. Now, the day after the news was made public, Carl released a statement on Instagram admitting to cheating on his wife. And since then, since that public statement that Carl made, at least one woman has come forward publicly claiming a five-month relationship with Carl that ended just last week. So here's what, that's what's going on. That's why I'm doing this podcast, because we need to talk about this. I, I don't want to sit here and give you dating tips when people are hurting. This this is where we are. This is what's unfolding in our churches with our leaders. And I am sad. I don't ever want to see anyone go through the pain and heartache of betrayal. I've experienced betrayal personally in relationships. I've seen it unfold in my family, friends, and I just want to say publicly that I am really sad to hear this news. I am hurting. I am angry. I am tired of seeing pastor after male pastor lack integrity and accountability. I'm not saying that women never have sexual failures or a lack of sexual integrity in their lives and in their ministries. However, we cannot deny that there is a gaping. There is a wide range of um, men falling into quote-unquote sexual sin. And the fallout of this behavior is deeper and wider than we can ever comprehend. We wonder why the people are leaving the evangelical church. I recently did a podcast episode with Addison Bevere, asking the question, why are so many evangelicals leaving the church? I think there are a lot of reasons, but man, we, we have, there's a lack of integrity. There's, there's no trust. There's a lack of humility. There's one message being preached from the stage and another belief system being lived out in private. I mean, to be frank, a, a huge reason why I am, am writing and have written my book, Sexless in the City, 
And this is not like a plug. I'm just sharing with you my heart of why I have written this book is because I got really tired in my 20s, now 30s of hearing male pastors tell me how to be pure and give me a list of do's and don'ts when it came to physical intimacy, abstaining from sex until marriage, when a lot of those pastors got married in their early 20s and had had and have no idea what it's like to date in today's culture. They have no idea what online dating is really like. They just, they don't get it. And it's one thing to abstain from sex when you're a year or two out of high school or college. And another thing to be in your 30s and literally have gone decades abstaining with no prospect in sight. I just grew tired. I wanted to hear from the perspective of someone who is actually walking it. And so since I wasn't really seeing it, I decided to write it myself. And then on top of that, as I've been writing this, as my, all these, uh, these five evangelical leaders that I'm sharing with you about, and there are many, many more, these five leaders have publicly fallen or been exposed this year as I've been writing this book. And another thing has come up for me is not only am I tired of hearing from men who got married in the early 20s who have no idea what it's like to be single in today's culture, the same men that are telling me to keep my pants on are the same ones that are not keeping their pants on in their own marriages. So in a lot of ways, I'm like, kind of lost your credibility to tell me um, what to what to and what not to do. So that's a little bit of a side tangent, but I've wondered, God, why me? <laughs> First of all, why am I 35 and single? Why have I not met this person that I believe God has for me? Why hasn't it quote unquote happened for me yet? Why am I writing this book? Why am I the girl for the job? I did not want to become this poster child or anything to be speaking on singleness and sexuality. I just didn't want that. Yet here I am. So here I am. Now, I want to acknowledge those hurting because I think what can happen when there's these public moral failures is that the attention is primarily on the offender. So for example, for example, when Carl went live with his public apology, there were thousands and thousands of comments on his Instagram post that were from very well-known pastors, men and women saying, you're a good man. We love you. We're here for you. We're believing with you. God's not done with your story. And I'm not saying that it's not good to uh, encourage people. However, what often happens is the most overlooked people in these scenarios are those who have been hurt, betrayed, abused, taken advantage of, by the offender. Those are the most overlooked people in these scenarios. And how do I know that? Well, for one, I grew up in a house of addiction. I've shared throughout the journey of this podcast and on my blog that my dad struggles with addiction. 
And for most of my childhood, up until I graduated college, he was in and out of rehabs. He was in and out of our lives. He went from being a very successful businessman making lots and lots of money to being homeless on the streets of Dallas. And what I experienced in hindsight and what has been really interesting to process now as an adult is all the attention was always on him. So whether we were in crisis mode and it's, oh, dad disappeared again, or oh, another relapse, whatever, whenever the crisis mode is happening, the focus was on getting dad help, getting dad whole, getting him the support he needed, encouraging him, forgiving him, and seeing him restored. And then when he gets sober, the attention is still on him, praising him for his sobriety, which we're happy for. I I want to praise and like anyone who struggles with addiction and is choosing, who is actively choosing recovery, I honor because that is a difficult and hard road. However, in that, in that experience, so much of my emotions, my experience, my pain, my grief, and the grief of my siblings, the grief of the ripple effects of the people impacted by the addict were overlooked because the focus, no matter what, seems to always be on the addict. And really, when I saw that post on Instagram this week, that's instantly what came to my mind. Is It's not that we don't believe for restoration. It's not that we don't forgive. It's not that we don't pray for someone who is struggling. It's just that we need to love and care for and serve and check in on those who have been hurt and betrayed. Why? Because Jesus always took care of the hurting. Jesus always made movement to the person being oppressed, the person being taken advantage of. If you're a creative, you know the drill. You're finally done editing. It's perfect. Now you just need to format and reformat and reformat for every single platform. With Issue, make it once and it's ready to post everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales, collateral, and more. I've used it in my photography business to create online portfolios or specific portfolio pitches to different brands or to my wedding clients. It's honestly perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone that wants to make eye-catching content. And it's super easy to use. You simply upload your PDFs and files and issue transforms them using your vision and customizable templates to create content that you want. With Issue, you create it once and distribute it everywhere. Everything is optimized to post on your website and social platforms like Instagram and Facebook. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories, which, hello, I love Instagram stories. You can start using Issue for free today. They also offer premium features that give you a more customized experience. So get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code CAT. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code CAT at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account.
Another thing that I want to say is we need to be clear here that these men who have given public confessions, these men were caught. It's one thing to be caught and it's an and confess. And it's another thing to bring your darkness to light before getting exposed. It's like, oops, oh, I got caught. Now I need to say I'm sorry. What if you didn't have to get caught? What if before the big moral failure, because it's not necessarily about the moment of the affair, the moment of choosing the drug, the moment of choosing greed or a lack of integrity. What is the decision you did or didn't make four years ago, six months ago, two weeks ago that led you down a path of, path of slow compromise? So we're praising these men for confessing publicly. What a good man. Your ministry has blessed me so much. But these men were caught and then confessed. And so I think what happens when we are giving all the praise and the attention to the addict, to the offender, to the predator, to the the person with a moral failure, when that becomes a sole focus, what happens is there's a dismissal of pain. So I think in that it's it's like, oh, well, gosh, am I not a good Christian because I'm angry? Am I, gosh, maybe I should just get over it. I just need to forgive him. In the name of Jesus, we just need to forgive and have grace. When there's not an acknowledgement of the of the person that's been hurt and really walking with that person, I think in dismissal of pain, I think that causes a lot of gaslighting and spiritual manipulation. So under the guise of spirituality, we're like, you know, forgive at all costs, forgive 70 times seven. And really, I think what happens there is there's a real misunderstanding of biblical forgiveness. I don't have time to really go into that right now, but I'm going to link in the show notes, Steve Farrar, who has been a mentor in my life for gosh, better part of 15, 20 years, has a sermon on forgiveness that has rocked my world. I'll link it in the show notes. And then theologian Felicia Masonheimer put an Instagram post up in response to John Christ's public confession and redemption tour earlier this year and talks about, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness and restoration of relationship and platform. We want to be quick to forgive and say, we forgive, forget, have grace, and you're restored, and you have uh, your the relationship is stored, you, you get your leadership platform back. I'm not saying that someone who has made a mistake should never have a platform again, but it takes time to restore. And when we immediately jump to praising a confession, we are dismissing the pain of the people who have been hurt. So I want to publicly acknowledge those that are hurting and feel betrayed, specifically the wives and the children of these of these leaders, the humiliation, the betrayal, the breach of trust. Man, if you've experienced the breach of trust from someone who's supposed to be one of the most trustworthy people in your life, it's really hard to put to words. It When that happens or when that has happened to me, it feels like I'm in a pool doing somersaults. You know when you do somersaults in the pool? 
And you're like, I want to see how many I can do in a row. I used to do that when I was a kid. And then at some point, you get a little disoriented, maybe a little dizzy, and you're like, I don't know which way is up. I don't have goggles on. I can't see. And I don't know which way is up, which way is down, which way is sideways. All I know is that I need some air. I think that's what a breach of trust and betrayal feels like. So I want to acknowledge the wives and the children. I want to acknowledge those who worked with and led with the the offender who feel blindsided to those who worked for and served under, to those who attended their ministries. I want to acknowledge you to to the people, to the person, to the women, to whomever that was taken advantage of. I want to acknowledge you. And I really also, especially in this case with Carl, I really want to acknowledge the people of color who feel heartbroken over this because Carl has been such a voice and advocate and ally to the racial justice conversation in the evangelical church and to the Black Lives Matter movement. Carl has been preaching that Black Lives Matters for years And that's something that I've really respected about him. So this news coming out is a real loss. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a grieving to the heart for the people that he has been taking a stand for. I want to acknowledge that the fallout of situations like this, the fallout of Carl, the fallout of, um, of leaders in our lives that we feel betrayed by is deep and it's wide. And you are allowed to grieve this. You are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to process. And no one has the right to tell you how you should feel or when you should be over this, what your process should or shouldn't be like. Next, what I what this has really brought up to me, the question that has keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again is, why do we have such a low view of men? And here's what I mean by that. When we see the public praise of a person who has a moral failure, who has a lack of integrity, a lack of sexual integrity in their lives, and we are able to dismiss that, not acknowledge that, we're able to vote people into office who have a history of sexual allegation, oppression of women— We're saying a lot of things, but one of the things that is whispering between the lines is a message that boys will be boys, that sexual integrity is just harder for men than it is women. It's a message that men walk out in. It's a message that women receive. Well, you know, they shouldn't be upset about it. Well, boys will be boys. It's harder for them. You know, they have needs. I think one of the most damaging messages offered by the purity movement within evangelical culture is this idea that it's up to women to not be quote-unquote stumbling blocks and that essentially the backbreaking, the suffocating, the crushing pressure 
of my sexual purity is not only on, on, on in my hands, but evidently the sexual integrity of men and the sexual purity of men is also on my shoulders. And the message that we receive in that is that there's something about being a woman that is wrong or scandalous, or there's something about my body that's bad. And if a guy stumbles, it's my fault. We're basically saying that, well, I must have been asking for it. So-and-so must have been asking for it. Here's what I want to say. (laughs) Men are just as much made in the image of God as women are. And women are just as much sexual beings as men are. We see in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, the creation of humanity. God says, let us make humanity in our image and our likeness. And God called humanity very good. We are all sexual beings. So the narrative that says boys will be boys or we should, you know, we we will look past a lack of integrity in the bedroom as long as a person's policy is great or as long as they have a thriving ministry. We'll, we'll look over that stuff. And you know what? I call BS on the whole thing because really, Really, do we have such a low view of men? Do we really think that men have no control over their urges, that boys will just be boys? No, I call BS on that. I have a high view of men. I have a high view of men. Men, you are created in the image of God. So be better. I don't accept this behavior and I'm not mad because I think men are just beneath women and can't get it together. I am mad because I have a high view of men. You are a reflection of the image of God, just as women are. It's time to hold yourself to a higher standard. It's time to do the work. It's time to get accountability for real. I mean, how many boardrooms, churches, ministries, do you see when you actually get to the inner circle, there's not accountability. You got rooms of yes men. And if I know anything about my own life is when I am surrounded by an echo chamber and when I am surrounded by yes men, that is the beginning of my demise. I also want to say in light of this, that oppression stops not when the oppressed take a stand, but the needle really begins to move forward when the oppressor takes a stand and makes repentance and turns around and begins to be an advocate for the oppression at hand. One of the most upsetting things this past week was that it was the men in the comments praising the fallen pastor. I saw only one woman in there who said, no, this is not okay. This, I will not support this behavior. This is not cool. And guess what? After that, the comments got turned off and deleted. Men, why are, why are you leaving it up to us women to be the whistleblowers? I love you. I call you to a higher standard as my brother in Christ, as a fellow image bearer. I am encouraging you. I am inviting you to be the men that God created you to be. Men of integrity, men of 
purpose, men who are living out their calling. Just because so many other men have moral failings doesn't mean that that's your destiny. God has a different destiny for you. God has placed purpose on your life. God has placed integrity on your life. God has placed a vision on your life. You have a story that is worth telling. Do not let a lack of integrity and secrecy and hiddenness keep you from your destiny. Next, I want to talk to the church. Church, we have to do better. I had an experience a few years ago with a church community that it was actually not my church, but I had a I had a lot of friends that went there. And so I visited a few times and I was sexually harassed three times by the same person. And one of the times the pastor watched as it happened and did nothing. This man followed me into the bathroom, chased me. This man grabbed me and smelled me by the neck. And the pastor watched. And my friends watched. And no one did anything. I had multiple phone calls and in-person meetings with the pastor when this happened. As soon as it happened, it happened one evening the next day. I got the contact information for the pastor and I said, here is what went down. And also, I just talked to at least 12 other women that go to your church that this man has done similar things to. You got a wolf in sheep's clothing here, guys. But you know what? This guy was a millionaire. He was a multimillionaire. And their response to me was, oh, Yep, that's just him. We know he's like this. He has a problem. We know we've talked with him about it. We've talked with his wife about it. We'll meet with him again. We'll give him another slap on the wrist. That's it's just kind of just how he is. Ultimately, this man wasn't asked to leave. He wasn't held accountable. He said he was sorry to the pastors, never directly to me, and they gave him a slap on the wrist and moved on. When we allow this behavior to go on within our church walls, we are protecting those who are abusing their power in the name of grace and effectually leaving the most vulnerable unprotected. The church then no longer is a safe place for the disadvantaged, for the oppressed, for the ostracized, for the views, for uh, those without power, but a sanctuary for the religious elite, the privileged, and those who are in a cycle of abusing their power. And here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus hated abuse of power. We see Jesus in the New Testament flipping over tables in the temple and yelling at the religious elite, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. Why? Because the house of God became a place where those in power abused it and took advantage of the weak. So do I believe in forgiveness? Do I believe in restoration? Yes, 1,000%, 100%, of course. But this behavior should make us angry and spur us to action on behalf of those being taken advantage of. Why? Because this behavior makes Jesus angry. It's wrong. So church, this is my plea. We have to do better. 
The church is supposed to be a witness to the world, a reflection of who Jesus is, the Jesus who has transformed our lives. Yet, it would seem that the Western Evangelical Church, as it stands today, instead of being a witness to the world, beckoning hope, acceptance, unconditional love, mercy, and grace, kindness, we are a house divided. If anything that the election showed us, we are a house divided. We are a mockery of what it means to reflect the God image to a world longing for hope and restoration. We are blowing it, church. We have to do better. We have to do better. And finally, all of this, everything that has unfolded, I don't want to just sit here and say, church, we have to do better. Guess who's a part of the church? I am. I don't want to just say, men, what's wrong with you? I don't want to just sit in anger and and bitterness and calling out. I want to use this as an opportunity to pause and look inward. I'm not above or below having a lapse in judgment or a moral failure. No one is. One of my close friends says, I'm just, we're all one, we're all one one bad decision away from crazy. We become who we are through tiny decisions that we do or do not make every single day. Every thought, every action, every posture of our heart, every word, every compromise, big or small, every denial of a lack of integrity, all of it, every choice, every action or inaction is leading us on a path we, we get to choose. Is our, our, is our path leading us towards life or is it leading us towards destruction? My pastor says often, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? What are the decisions that you are or are not making leading you towards? Who are they developing you to be? Who do you want to be? And so in that, I have to say, over this election season, I have I actually have felt really convicted in this last week because I've been really quick to get angry. I have been easily offendable, and I have been sharp-tongued on social media, on Instagram stories, and I want to apologize for that. I have been blind to my own judgmental spirit because I felt right. And because of that, it felt justifiable to me. My pastor, John Tyson, in his book, The Burden is Light, has a chapter on judgment and mercy that this chapter alone is worth reading the book. So please get it. I'll link it in the notes. But he says this, being a Christian can be confusing. Our faith is unique among the world's religions and its central teaching of grace, yet It's known as a religion of works. Christianity is supposed to be defined by love, yet Christians are viewed as judgmental hypocrites. Our faith proclaims forgiveness of sin, yet we are often remembered for our self-righteous behavior. One research group studying evangelical Christians revealed these public perceptions. Evangelicals were called illiterate, 
greedy, psychos, racist, stupid, narrow-minded, bigots, idiots, fanatics, nutcases, screaming loons, delusional, simpletons, pompous, morons, cruel, nitwits, and freaks. And that's just a partial list. Some people don't have any idea what evangelicals actually are or what they believe. They just know they can't stand evangelicals. Tyson says, I have struggled with the gap between what I say and how I live. I have struggled profoundly to integrate my faith into my personal life. Have you felt this tension? I have felt it. I'm no better. I'm no better. So the question I'm asking myself right now and that I encourage you to process through is, who am I? Who do I want to be? Who has access to my life? Do I have the courage to be known in the moment and not just after crisis, not just when I'm ready to make my struggle a teaching point or when I'm found out, but do I have the courage to reach out for support when I need it? I reached out to several pastor friends and mentors and peers this week and said, hey, I don't want this to be me. I don't want to have some moral failure, publicly or privately. So will you walk with me? I want to be known. So who are you becoming? Who do you want to be? Where in your life is there a chasm between who you want to become and who you actually are and how you actually live. You have the power to change course. Growth happens not when we reach nirvana or perfection, but growth happens the moment we become aware that we are off course and make the conscious decision to course correct. In closing, I want to speak peace and hope over you, me, us, I posted on Instagram this week, the meme that says, this week has been a long year. And man, it has. We have experienced a lot this year, this month, (laughs) this week, today. And I just, I'm speaking this over myself because I need it. I need it. But I'm speaking it over you too. Hope doesn't put us to shame. That's That's what the Bible says. That's a promise. So let's stay connected to hope. And Jesus' heart is to make all things new. And all things means all things. So Jesus, make us new. Make the church new. Rise up a generation of men and women and children and humans that are people of integrity. Give comfort to those who are hurting, to those who are humiliated, who who have been betrayed who have been traumatized by these situations, bring them peace, bring them your presence, bring them comfort, bring us peace. Restore, God, what only you can restore. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. And I am sure that this has brought up a lot of thoughts and conversations. And what I encourage you to do is, is have conversations with your community. And like I said in the beginning, I may have not gotten this all right, and I may be fumbling my way through this, but if there's anything that I've learned this year, it's that when injustice happens, it matters to acknowledge it in the moment. And so that's what I'm doing here is I'm acknowledging 
the pain, the heartache, the injustice in the moment. I don't hate any of these pastors. I don't hate Carl. (laughs) I am praying for Carl. I'm praying for his wife. I'm praying for his family. I'm praying for their lives and their ministry. I'm praying for restoration. I am believing for that. And I'm also saying, guys, we got to do better. So thanks for being here. Thanks for thanks for joining the conversation. Stay tuned next week for another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. We do have a few more episodes of the That's What He Said series, some really good ones coming up on the docket. We have a fun giveaway, holiday giveaway happening over on Instagram starting Monday, November 16th. So go ahead and be on the lookout for that. Follow me at at The Refined Woman and we will talk soon.